today on Ag News Daily. What makes us kind of unique from other uh, feed yards is uh, we have an emphasis on feeding natural cattle. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Friday to all y'all. It is sunny out here in central Iowa today. Did see a couple farmers running with some planters. I don't know if they were actually in the field. I saw them heading down the highway, but guys are certainly getting stoked and getting ready to get in there and get some more of this corn planted. And we'll know on Monday just how much progress we made this week. Now, I am Mike Pearson, co-host of the Ag News Daily Podcast, flying solo today. Fellow co-host Delaney Howell is Hacking and I imagine running around like a chicken with her head cut off, trying to get geared up to head down to South America. She is will be in Chile all of next week, so we will not have her on the podcast. But I'm sure she'll be posting some fascinating stuff on our Twitter and Facebook pages. You can find that at Ag News Daily and both places, Twitter and Facebook, we're there. And I think also Instagram. But uh, I don't know. I don't do much with Instagram. I am an elder millennial and a male, so Instagram is not quite my... Uh, my forte. But we do have some news coming today. We've got a great conversation with Hank McWhorter, the uh, president of Mac 6 Cattle Feeders down there in Hereford, Texas. We'll be talking to him a little bit later on in the podcast. But to kick things off, we got to talk news. And the main news story for the day was that at 12.01 this morning, tariffs were raised with China. We raised, uh, we put more import taxes on goods coming over from China, we raised them from 10% to 25% on $200 billion worth of goods coming from China. Was talking to a friend of mine who says that the price of steel has been so volatile that bids for new grain bins are only good for two weeks because uh, that's how, how frequently steel has to be repriced. So this is certainly causing some headaches. We certainly saw some lingering effects of it in the market. Most of this trade brouhaha is pretty well priced in, but uh, just to really kind of set things off on a non-Friday tone, Maybeans, of course, getting close to expiration here, down three and a quarter today, broke through that $8 level, which to me is it's just a psychological barrier, closed the day at $7.97 even. Not, not a pretty picture for a lot of us in farm country, whether you're looking at buying goods or you're looking at selling farm goods, it is a tight squeeze across the Corn Belt. We did have comments from President Donald Trump today. He said that, quote, he was in no hurry to sign a trade deal with China. Uh, the negotiators have ended two days of talks. We don't know what was accomplished since they didn't roll out with a big press release and headline stories about success. I'm guessing... They weren't real successful. Uh, today's session between Robert Lighthizer and Chinese Vice Premier Liu He lasted uh, just about 90 minutes, and then they went their separate ways. Not a great sign. Uh, Mnuchin, Stephen Mnuchin, Treasury Secretary, did say, quote, they were constructive discussions, end quote. And Liu, uh, Liu He from China said the talks had gone, quote, fairly well, end quote. So constructive discussions that went fairly well is all we got out of this two days of high-level trade talks with China. Tariffs have been raised. We have not seen the Chinese response yet. They have vowed to retaliate, but uh, don't know quite what that's going to look at. I mean, they are 
frankly, running out of goods they can put import tariffs on. So chances are they'll just raise the existing tariffs to to greater levels, which would, of course, hit uh, pork. We'll see if that one stays on the list. Uh, soybeans would remain hit if they decide to go that route. And uh, as we were talking about yesterday with uh, Dr. Jim Minert, you know, we're getting close to the time of the year where we need to see some agreements signed with China so we can start getting some fourth quarter sales on the books. We got to get them Back in here, buying our beans, particularly those beans from the northern Great Plains, North and South Dakota and Minnesota, where beans have just been piled up, waiting on trains to go to the Pacific Northwest, where there's just not as many buyers. So don't have a whole lot of excitement today. The trade talk definitely rattled the commodities markets, as I mentioned, a little bit, even though most of it's already been priced in. The big shock really was in the equity markets. Um, they they are, as of my recording here at about uh, 145, stocks are off session lows, but the S&P 500 does remain on track for its worst weekly loss since December uh, because of the drawing out of this U.S.-China trade war. Um, another piece of kind of downer stock news today was Uber went public this morning, and uh, they were, you know, really fired up about their Uber. For those of you who don't know, it's a ride-sharing service. You, you know, hail a car on your on an app on your smartphone. It's very slick. I like both it and Lyft. Um, they launched. They had their IPO price set at $45. Quickly, it fell off of there. It was ugly day for Uber all the way around, and uh, last I checked, was trading about 9% under that launch price. Not great, but just a rough day in the markets all the way around. Um, it has been a rough couple of years in the farm economy, and Bloomberg did a report talking about how farm bankruptcies are climbing and ag lenders are taking action. This is one of those things that I realized when I was working at the bank. There are so many lenders and managers who survived the farm crisis of the 1980s, and they vowed you know, to do everything in their power not to go back to that horrible situation. Um, they're being very, very proactive. And uh, that's basically the take from Bloomberg here. Regional banks are healthy, but they do appear to be boosting their defenses against risks they face. A report by First Midwest Bank in Chicago showed that past due agricultural loans, this really shocked me, they're up 287% in 2018 versus 2017. And Iowa Mediation Service, which uh, works with farmers you know, looking at restructuring, looking at uh, mediating some of their debt, um, rose 20% in the cases they are handling. So we are seeing stresses continue to rise across farm country. Farmer bankruptcies in kind of the six core Corn Belt states in the Midwest are up 30%. Uh, now, that's a big percentage, but the overall number was still only, and I say that knowing if you're one of these numbers, it's a devastating, devastating occurrence, but farm bankruptcies are, are only at 103 in 2018. So it's not a waterfall quite yet. It isn't a catastrophe uh, for the industry, but it is something that we're going to see lenders continue to keep an eye on. Um, I've got a story here. You know, we've talked quite a little bit about USMCA. And the ongoing agreements to get that signed. Oh, and actually, before I jump into this, I did want to say we do have success out of the House of Representatives. They have passed a disaster relief bill, uh, passed the House a little bit earlier this morning. Don't have full text on it quite yet, but it does appear to authorize some funding for communities that have been hit by the flooding. I don't know where they ended up landing on Puerto Rico, so we will... Uh, 
I'll keep digging on this. I, like I said, I just saw it before I started recording. Good news. Of course, now I've got to see a similar piece of legislation come through the Senate. And then, of course, they'll have to you know, combine the pieces uh, and get things done. But at least we've got some progress. All right. Back to uh, the USMCA. There's an article here from the Fr Georgia Fruit and Vegetable Growers Association. Now, we don't talk a whole lot of fruits and vegetables on this podcast. It's kind of a blind spot for me as I look around the world of agriculture. But they said that the USMCA would devastate South Georgia fruit and vegetable producing counties. Uh, they have no remedy or relief mechanism to prevent unfair dumping of below market value produce grown in Mexico into the U.S. And they say that the Mexican government production subsidies, plus their low labor costs, which we're familiar with in Mexico, and their less stringent regulatory guidelines will allow Mexico to grow and sell produce at well below Georgia's production costs. Um, and this is on top of the fact that the Mexican harvest season overlaps directly with Georgia's. So I've reached out to the, uh, the Georgia Fruit and Vegetable Growers Association. Hopefully we can have somebody from there on bring a different perspective about USMCA to, to me frankly, and hopefully to some of our listeners, because this was not an aspect I had considered. And uh, so we'll we'll continue digging. Hopefully next week we'll uh, we'll have somebody on from down there who can talk about, you know, some of the threats, some of the challenges that they could be seeing if this continues. And I guess my question would be, you know, what's the alternative? What happens if we can not get USMCA if President Trump cancels NAFTA? Is that a better outcome? I, for for Georgia fruit and vegetable producers, you know, I I don't know. We'll dig. That's what we do. Well, you know, Delaney does most of that, so we'll see what happens next week. <laughs> Anyhow, got some other news here. Ardent Mills, a, a joint venture between Conagra Foods, Cargill, and CHS, has announced they are going to close three U.S. flour mills in this next month, and then a fourth in the first quarter of 2020. Uh, they're going to close a mill in Macon, Georgia, Loudonville, Ohio, and Red Lion, Pennsylvania by June 30th. And they're going to shut one down in Rush City, Minnesota there in that first quarter of 2020. Um, now, I... Ardent Mills did not specify how much capacity is going to be lost with these closures or, you know, they didn't talk about any job losses, but they're basically saying that they need to do this to streamline operations and due to the, quote, anticipated demand and to enhance the efficiency of the Ardent Mills network. So if you are a wheat producer who is sold into those markets, beware, some demand things are changing and uh, it could be could be a rough year. I wanted to see, do we have any other news for us today as we get going, rocking and rolling into the market segment before we talk to Hank McWhorter? And I do. I've got one other piece of news, the Center for American Progress, kind of a center-left um, economic think tank, I guess is probably the best way to put it. Uh, they proposed an idea that they want to establish an independent task force at the USDA charged with maintaining competitive markets and protecting farmers from the harms of consolidation. Uh, Center for American Progress was one of those groups at the uh, Democratic debate discussion thing I attended at Buena Vista uh, college here earlier this month. They are very concerned about the ongoing consolidation in the ag sector specifically. And uh, this looks to be one of the ways they're going to seek to remedy it is by 
maybe putting a task force in place at the USDA. We haven't had any response on Capitol Hill, um, but it does sound like that some Democrats are willing to embrace this idea. And uh, we'll see if Secretary Purdue responds to it, if this ends up getting enough traction to even be worth a discussion. If it does, we will certainly have somebody from CAP on to uh, to flesh this idea out in detail and to see just, I mean, realistically, what can they do with the USDA? What regulatory powers do they have to stop and or slow these large agribusiness mergers? Most of that has to come from the Justice Department. So I'm not entirely sure. But that does it for news today. Oh, I suppose we'll jump into the markets. Not a great day on the grain side. Halfway decent day in the cattle complex, but everything else was pretty well in the red, folks. We are seeing volatility. We are seeing challenges. We are seeing squeezed margins across farm country. This is a great time to begin to explore options to manage your marketing risk. You can do that with our friends from Zaner. Give them a shout at 312-277-0050, or you can visit them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com, and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. Looking at the corn market, the July contract down one and a half cents at 351 and three quarters. December down three quarters of a cent to close at 372 even. Soybeans, another down day today. The July was down three and a half cents at 809 and a quarter. November new crop down two and a half, finishing at 833 and a quarter. Chicago wheat also in the red today. July contract down four and three quarters to close at 424 and three quarters. December down four and a half, finishing at 448 and a quarter. Looking over to the world of livestock, as I mentioned, we did catch a bid in the cattle complex today in live cattle the june was up 50 cents at 112.45 with the august up a dollar 30 on the day to close at 108.90 feeder cattle big winners today the august up two dollars 35 cents at 146.82 and a half the september up 250 to finish at 147.77 and a half and uh slight losses here in lean hogs the june contract was down 32 and a half cents at 89.67.50 with the july down 22 and a half to close at 90.75 a little bit of weakness as we jump over into the dairy market for class three milk. The May contract was down a penny at 1634 with the June down three cents to finish the day at 1632. Well, since we did have a little bit of a green day in the cattle markets, we're excited to talk to our friend Hank McWhorter. Delaney met him down in Amarillo, Texas here a couple of weeks ago. We had him on to talk about what they're doing at Mac six cattle feeders. So without further ado, let's turn it over to Hank. Well, I'm excited for today's discussion. We are talking to Hank McWhorter, who is the president of Max 6 Feeders, located just outside of Amarillo, Texas. Hank, first of all, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Thanks for having me. So, really, the reason that we got you on the podcast in the first place is I met you a couple of weeks ago down in Amarillo for the annual Texas Ag Credit annual meeting. And you and I were having a discussion about your feedlot and what you guys are doing down there in Amarillo, and it is fascinating to me. So I think we need to give kind of the 10,000-foot view here of what you guys do there at Max 6 to our listeners. Uh, sure. Um, so from kind of a, just a, yeah, from the 10,000-foot uh, view, um, we're a cattle feeding operation. So what we do is uh, feed cattle a corn-based ration um typically three times a day um what makes us kind of unique from other uh, feed yards is uh we have an emphasis on feeding natural cattle um and when i say natural i'm saying cattle uh that don't receive uh an implant or any kind of growth promotant 
uh, or uh, antibiotics. Uh, now, we do still uh, treat cattle when they get sick. We just can't market them um, as natural cattle. So we do still, still, still have a piece of the business that works with just conventional cattle as well. So, Hank, my question is, why did you decide, guys decide to go down that route of focusing on the natural cattle? From a producer's perspective, I've got to imagine that results in, in somewhat more work or, or cattle handling um, since you don't have the, the backstop of medication for all those animals. No, yes, of course, it does. Uh, it does make things a lot more complicated. And uh, um, I mean, there's a lot more work involved uh, with doing things that way. Uh, Probably the main reason we uh, went that route uh, back in, we started doing uh, Source and Age Verified, uh, that program in 2003. Uh, and then we kind of pivoted from that into a, into a, a natural program, probably starting around 2010, 2011. Um, the reason behind that is uh, there's consolidation in the cattle feeding industry and we needed to do something to kind of set ourselves apart from uh, other feedlots uh, you know we're in a commodity business and uh, and so how could we kind of decommoditize uh, what we do here uh, and that's what we uh, that's kind of what naturally occurred from it and uh, and it's been a, a wonderful decision and it's worked out uh, well with us and we've become, you know, partners with a lot of really um, amazing uh, people in the industry that have, uh, whether it be uh, uh, kind of stake programs or uh, with retailers and all kinds of stuff. So, so it, it turned out to be a, a good decision, but it certainly uh, didn't always feel that way. <laughs> yeah, I bet it felt challenging at times. Being kind of maybe some of the innovators in the beef production industry. Hank, give me some of the size and scope of your feedlot. How many head are you running approximately, if you feel um, able to share that? And then are you custom feeding these cattle for folks, or are you, you guys as Max 6 feeders going out and buying the head that you're then feeding? Yes, um, that's a good question. Uh, so from a size and scope perspective, we um, have a capacity of 55,000 head. Uh, though uh, that's really based on uh, conventional feeding, uh, not uh, not so much uh, the natural uh, programs that we do today. Um, we would ha have a hard time getting more than 45,000 in here uh, based on the programs we do today, uh, just because they require a little bit more um, bunk space per head. And then uh, we also have to have some pins that we use for sorting that we, you know, we didn't have to use when we were uh, feeding conventional cattle uh, mainly. Uh, we we do still do custom feeding for customers, um, and uh, so we're we are a mix of uh, feeding our own, uh, I guess our own cattle, and then also uh, those for customers. Uh, that's probably today we we feed ourselves probably a. a maybe 25% of the capacity and 75% and of it uh, today goes to, to customers. Uh, and that will probably shift uh, the opposite uh, direction uh, going forward with some different programs uh, we're doing and have coming up that will require us to, to feed uh, a larger percentage of those. 
Well, let's talk about some of those programs that are coming up. We made mention, Delaney uh, made mention of the fact that Walmart is beginning their own branded beef program. And I know they've been reaching out to feed yards across the country. And it sounds like Max 6 is going to be one of those that will be feeding some cattle for Walmart. Is that is that the plan? Uh, yes, that is the plan. And we're uh, we're very excited about it. Um, we we got approached by them to uh, to kind of help with this new endeavor uh, that they're taking on and, um, and we're extremely excited about it. And, uh, and we've worked with, uh, with one of the kind of main, uh, individuals that they're, they're partnering with, uh, his name's Bob McLaren. Um, he's with 44 farms. Um, and we're, we're working alongside him uh, and his team to, to help, uh, procure the cattle and, and feed them. So, uh, it's a, it's an exciting deal. It is really exciting, and it looks like it's going to be Angus beef specifically. Uh, I assume black Angus beef specifically. Hank, what type of production or feed setting do you have to have them in? Obviously, are they natural? Are they hormone-free? What is Walmart looking for for their consumers? Um, it, it is a... Uh, it is a... Nat- well, when you get into the, those definitions, um, I, I'm sure you've realized that it's it's not that easy to, to, right. to define some of those <laughs> things. Um, but the program is going to be a, a non-hormone uh, program, so no uh, no implants, no uh, growth promotants, uh, or anything like that. Uh, so that's technically natural, but uh, they will we will be able to uh, use uh, some uh, med- medicinal, uh, technology like antibiotics on, uh, on, on the cattle. And I think, gotcha. so basically, oh, go ahead. Blaine. Oh, I was just going to say, I think it's important to note too. You mentioned earlier, just because these cattle are originally being maybe raised for this natural black Angus line for Walmart, that doesn't mean necessarily if they get sick or whatever, you're going to just let them die. You pull them then and, and put them in your conventional program. If that's the case, is that right? Um, that, that is the case. And, and each one of the programs is, is different, um, from that perspective. Um, but, uh, yes, we will never avoid, uh, treating, uh, you know, one, a head that gets sick. Um, we're always going to try to do what's best for the welfare of the cattle. Uh, but that may, may require us to market them a different way, uh, especially when you get into the, those all natural programs. Now, Hank, when you look out at kind of the future of cattle feeding, especially down there in the Texas Panhandle, we continue to see the mix of crops in your location change. I know cotton has caught on in a big way down there. What do you think are some of the challenges you're facing as a Panhandle cattle feeder with a lot of head on feed? What keeps you up at night? Oh man, uh, I, <laughs> I mean, I think in the future there's going to there's a lot of challenges ahead for us, um, and, and as you see more farmers uh, switching over to uh, to cotton and, uh, and the price, uh, levels that we have corn trading at today. Uh, it, it makes it harder for us to, uh, to source corn locally. Um, whether that be for, for, uh, for our flaked corn in our feed or, uh, silage, corn silage is another big piece of, uh, of our ration. Uh, so those two things are going to get harder and harder to do. Uh, and on top of that, you, introduce uh all these dairies that are coming into the area so we're 
we're all fighting over uh, limited resources uh, based on the you know water levels we have here, and I think that's that's one thing that does keep me up at night. But um, I, that's something that everyone is concerned about, and we're all uh, trying to find a creative way to 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 address those, and that may mean uh, that the ration that we feed cattle. Uh, you know, in in ten years, is looks a whole lot different than what we do today. Uh, I would I would bet it probably does. Yeah, absolutely. I think consumer demand and preferences changes a lot of that, and that leads me to really my last question I had for you, Hank. As you look at you guys are doing natural and hormone free and and all that stuff, do you see any other trends coming down the consumer pipeline of ways that they want their beef raised? Oh well, I mean, I, I think. One of the big things you see from uh, from the uh, consumer, which we have to remind ourselves that we're a um, we're a a food company. Uh, that's what we're what we do. We're uh, you know and and keep that in mind. Um, but uh, is that a lot of people want to see transparency from uh, you know where did where did what I'm eating today come from, uh, and not just uh, what the traditionally what the package says you know whether you know the box may not have very much detail on it uh people want to know that it came from you know this ranch and this location and it went to to this place so we're um we're working on technology that shows uh every step along the line where uh, each individual head went and uh and um, you know what they were fed there uh, if they were treated along the line what they were treated with and have a record of that uh, animal from really birth to um, to slaughter and uh, and I think that's that's going to be a big movement it's not an easy thing to do but I think uh, everyone's trying to accomplish that um, other than that uh, I, I think that uh, I think you're going to see continued growth on the on the uh, natural side, um, that's just—it just seems like in the beginning people thought that was a um, just kind of a a, a temporary, uh, I guess, a fad. And uh, it seems like it's got some staying power. And um, I think as as we have kind of different generations moving into uh, having more purchasing power, you're going to see that side of the the business grow. Uh, beyond that. Uh, uh, I can't say what what'll be the next thing, but I wouldn't be surprised. And we've just got to be ready to to adapt to whatever the consumer wants. That's the thing. You got to stay nimble in this industry because consumer tastes are always changing. Hank, if any of our listeners want to follow along with with uh, Max Six Cattle Company, if they've got pens they want to put on feed, what's the best way to get in touch with you and kind of see what you've been up to? Yeah, of course. Um, we have a website which is MC Six cfi.com uh and then you can certainly always call us at the feed yard if you have questions or want to uh, learn about the things we're doing here uh the the number here is 806-414-1844 uh beyond that um and you can get more contact information for us uh, on our website but uh we'd love to hear from anybody all right. Nice job, Delaney, lining that up. Thanks, Hank, for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, it's always good. I love talking to cattle feeders. And, folks, if you have a chance, hop online, check out their website. I tell you, to me, there are few sites prettier than pens full of fat cattle. I was over in western Iowa here earlier this week, and you just see 
just see those cattle laying out dirt lots, happy as a clam. They got plenty of feed. The weather's beautiful for cattle right now. A little chilly, a little damp. Man, they were they were happy as clams. I loved seeing that. Anyway, if you love seeing all the sorts of stuff that we talk about here on this podcast, you can check us out on the social media sites of your choosing, Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Ag News Daily. And of course, you can visit our website at agnewsdaily.com. Direct your right to our new home, the Global Ag Network. You can check out all of our past podcasts and the podcasts of fellow podcasters on the Global Ag Network. Lots of agricultural, rurally focused episodes bringing right to you the news and the stories and the entertainment of the day from the ag industry. With that, folks, I want to wish you all a very happy and hopefully productive weekend, and I'm going to let you go. (laughs) 